1: This is the Daily Blast from the New Republic, produced and presented by the DSR Network. I'm your host, Greg Sargent. In recent days, Stephen Miller has been running around excitedly insisting that if Donald Trump is elected president again, mass deportations will begin on day one. Trump and his allies are drawing up plans for mass removal camps. Meanwhile, later this week, President Biden and Trump will both be visiting the border. And on top of all that, it's being reported that Biden is considering taking dramatic new steps to limit asylum seeking. We think that's a mistake and that there's a better way. We're really fortunate to be joined by today's guest, Jason Hauser, who was chief of staff at U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement in 2022 and 2023. He'll help us make sense of all this. Welcome, Jason.
2: Thanks, Greg. Thanks for having me.
1: The Post reports that Trump and his allies are drawing up plans for mass deportations, including giant camps to hold migrants before their expulsion. Miller's been all over the place talking about this. This is obviously heinous in human terms, but let's start here. As someone who worked at a senior position at ICE, which would carry out these removals, how realistic is this vision?
2: You know, Greg, it's from an operational perspective and just sort of a law enforcement perspective. You can see how most of this is one unfeasible. It's it's the ability to sort of operationalize it and bring it into sort of the volume and scale that you would need would need to sort of lean on not only all of ICE's resources on the enforcement and removal side, but also the resources of the Homeland Security investigations. And quite frankly, the less of the federal the larger federal law enforcement and DHS communities. Um, you know, when you look at the idea of doing, you know, a million removals a year and creating these large detention scales, just the idea of the the, the, the care and creating the, sort of the security apparatus, detention apparatus, sort of logistic apparatus, and transportation apparatus that would go along with that, you would need fifty to 60,000 sort of officers and securities officials, not including the sort of, support mechanisms that go along with that just in the care and feeding. I must also stress that if you're if we're really going if, to if the plan would be to pull sort of hundreds of thousands of migrants out of their communities, where they're within legal pathways to sort of sort of within the asylum process and working within their communities, you can just see the cataclysmic sort of impacts this would have on our local communities. And not only from just the humanitarian perspective and a community perspective, but just two key notes, sort of the, the chilling effect that this would have on law enforcement, just in our communities from two separate angles. If you would begin sort of the at-large arrest and detention of, of non-citizens that are in sort of the seeking legal pathways for asylum and other mecha- and other, other avenues, you're going to begin to see these, these, these communities chill to the point where they're not not going to work every day, they're not engaging within the communities, and that'll create sort of that adversarial sort of aspect between both law enforcement and the communities themselves.
1: Yeah, I want to stress, I want to I bear down on that point. Many, many of these migrants are in a legal process. What Miller is talking about doing here is yanking them out of this legal process and putting them in giant camps. Now, it's, it's a ludicrous idea from a legal perspective, Right. But as you say, um, operationally, it would take tens and tens of thousands of ICE officers. What are there, 6,000 ICE officers right now? So you'd have to, how much would this cost? How much would it cost to hire tens and tens of thousands of, of, of additional ICE officers, train them, start running, I guess he wants to run, you know, uh, armored vans through communities to take them to these uh, detention camps?
2: How much would this cost? I mean just just from a detention perspective if you're looking at what would have to be created in the cost of current sort of traditional detention of both single adults and families these are statistics and numbers that are available just just open source and congress has looked into this a lot we're talking any we're talking 50 to 60 billion dollars of sort of the amount of money that it would take to sort of fund something like that additionally greg just to to reiterate when you mentioned that there is 6000 sort of enforcement and removal Officers within ERO, which is a part of ICE, there's another 14,000 that are within the Homeland Security investigation front. The officers, those officers every day are fighting human smuggling, sex trafficking, cyber crimes, drug trafficking, etc. Uh, in our communities, you can imagine if we were to say we are now going to deprioritize that work within the law enforcement community, and we're going to prioritize sort of holding indefinitely individuals that were you know uh, you know citizen you know so non-citizens that were working within our communities and very productive lives both in the community and for their families and pulling them out and putting them in detention indefinitely. And what I mean indefinitely is because you have to look at the ability for the federal government and, and I specifically to remove individuals to their home countries. There's a, a lot of you know if you look at the numbers and statistics over the last three years, of sort of the increase that we've seen in, in in asylum seekers in this country, the big delta between the previous administration and this one is really from communities within from, from Colombia, uh, Cuba, uh, Venezuela. Our ability to sort of remove to these countries is very minimal due to the relations with these countries. So you're talking about indefinitely holding hundreds of thousands of people in what would be very, very inhumane circ- situations and sort of soft-sided tents and and sort of you know old warehouses for indefinite periods of time. Where one, you're now sucking all of that all of our law enforcement community into that operation, but you're also pulling the children, the families out of their work, out of their schools, out of from their their productive lives here in, here in the United States.
1: Yeah, no, I think you raise a really important point. There would be an immense public outcry when, when people realized what uh, these officers are being diverted from. And this kind of goes to the core of how insanely single-minded Stephen Miller is about uh, removing migrants from the country. I also think there's like a, a sort of a dark subtext to this, right? Republicans are arguing that Biden has the power to essentially close down the border. All Biden has to do is restart Trump's policies. That, combined with the Trump Miller threats, are supposed to create the impression that this can be done with a switch, right? Biden keeps the switch in the on position and Trump keeps the switch in the off position. But what's the reality here?
2: Well, let me let me pressure test that in, in Mr. Miller and others sort of sort of ideology in this in a few areas. One, you can't deter and punish your way to lowering sort of encounters at the border, or those that are seeking asylum, especially when you have so so much conflict and crisis happening across the Western Hemisphere. The idea that you can show such punitive measures where you're hurting human, other human beings to the point where that will somehow lower encounters of asylum seekers at the borders is absurd. It's inhuman and it's un-American. Um, now, I also also raised that sort of this, the, the idea that you can turn off the border, is just not factual. Like, yes, the president could. It's it's illegal now to to come between the POEs, the points of entry at the border, and making that sort of more punitive in a way. You're going to create other other the push factors that are driving those migratory flows to our border need to be addressed, and and sort of more pathways need to be given to migrants so they don't seek that dangerous journey, and that will take pressure off the border. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Right. I want to ask you about that, in fact. And this this really goes to the core of the absurdity of the Trump-Miller argument about smuggling operations, right? So Trump's campaign says that if he becomes president and restores his policies, it'll deal the smugglers a huge blow. Yet, to your point, as far as I can tell, the smugglers thrive when there are fewer ways for migrants to to, to apply for asylum, right? Which is one something and Trump and Miller want to limit that. That would help the smugglers, wouldn't it?
2: Uh, there's a couple of examples of that. There is, I mean, we all agree that our system is broken and we need to we need to fix these pathways. We need to create a, a capacity and a volume within the immigration system that meets the challenges of today. No one is disagreeing with that. But if you look at some of the previous administration's policies, mainly the sort of the, the over-focus on Title 42 and sort of expulsion mechanisms, the MPP program, which was winded down, it created, in, in just those examples, recidivists literally migrants that were doubling back to the border. So you're actually creating frequent flyers for the smugglers and transitors to take advantage of coming to the border. I mean, how absurd is it to sort of double down on that? You know, 20%, some of the statistics are showing 20% of Cubans have left the island of Cuba and are somewhere displaced on the, across the Western Hemisphere. The sort of calculus that goes in, and we stress this a lot as the Secretary did, is that migration... And sort of doesn't start at the border, but it starts when, when a migrant and their family make this sort of calculus to to, to move and sort of seek more a, a safe place to sort of protect their family and, and live. And it, it is sort of absurd to say that, that sort of these punitive deterrent measures are gonna change that calculus when individuals are in such sort of deplorable and horrible conditions in some 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 areas across the Western Hemisphere. Just examples of you know, during my tenure at ICE in this administration, in the Obama administration, some of the, the, the sort of the, the issues going on in Haiti, for example, are just absolutely horrific. I mean, my my officers were there uh, throughout a lot of the issues in 2021, 2022. You're seeing 80% of Port au Prince is being controlled by the gangs where there's beheadings in the streets and just just sort of you know, horrific sort of situations that people are fleeing to just get to a safer place to provide for their families. To disregard that is is absurd, and sort of think that you can drown down the the cal- you know the calculus of a migrant's ability to gain asylum. Now, with that said, we have to create processes in the capacity to sort of handle the situation. While also taking taking the control of migrants' flows to the border away from the transitors, away from the smugglers. And we have to engage our sort of hemispheric partners in these other nations in figuring out what the, the holistic plan is for how we're going to do address the situation currently in the hemisphere.
1: So it's been reported that Biden is considering a suspension of asylum seeking entirely under certain conditions. Apparently, he'd rely on the Immigration and Nationality Act. And again, restrictionist-minded pundits are endorsing the idea idea but didn't Trump actually try this only to be blocked by the courts
2: you know that is that is absolutely correct. It was blocked I believe by the Supreme Court at the time and my challenge here is I think I think you saw a sort of the, the initial stages of what is becoming movement but you know even bipartisanly and by the president to sort of address the bigger issues when you bring up the the INA and the Nationalization Act I mean we're taught that, you know the, the bulk of our immigration law in this country was written in the mid 60s i mean you know bonanza was the top television show at the time and the rolling stones were atop the the music charts the and just think of that in the context of let's say we didn't update our our tax code since 1965 it's just it's an absurd sort of way that we go about it that we we've not sort of addressed the key things the key parts of our immigration process that need to be updated and that is that falls at the feet of the congress absolutely
1: yeah, and and also early on in Biden's term, right? So let let's just be clear here, though. So, Trump actually tried to suspend asylum seeking entirely under the INA Immigration and Nationality Act. It was blocked by the courts. So it's unclear whether Biden would be would even be able to do this if they were taking it seriously, which I think is also a little hard to say, right? But even even more absurdly early on in Biden's term, he kept in place Title 42, which used COVID to effectively shut off asylum seeking. That that lasted for, I guess, about a year and a half or something. Was it, was it your experience that this functional ban on asylum dissuaded migrants from trying to come here? Yes or no?
2: no? No, it didn't. And secondly, it also compounded the problem where it increased our encounter numbers at the border. So by you know, effectually sort of banning asylum seeking or closing the border, you're literally just, you're, 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 you're saving the problem and saving the the sort of the pressure of migrants flowing to the border because you're not addressing the root causes. You're just saving it for later. You're literally just compounding the problem that you will have to, to deal with down the road. I want to be clear
1: on what you, what you just said there, right? So if you effectively shut off asylum seeking, the result is that people try over and over to get in, right? Um, and as and that drives up encounter numbers, which makes it look as if the border is out of control, which gives Republicans a talking point against the president. So doing this would be falling into a, a really foolish trap, wouldn't it?
2: Yes, I mean I must emphatically yes. I mean wh- what you would also see is because remember, is as, as a lot of the, the big proportion number of nationalities that have come to border, both Cuban and Venezuela, which you aren't going to then be able to turn them off and sort of turn off the border, you're still going to have if the if the issue that you're trying to address is large number of encounters at the border and pressure on communities at the border, just shutting off the border to asylum seekers is not going to do that. What it would actually, I think, I think is is make it more erratic and sporadic of sort of the large surges of of migrants that you would see uh, come across at different weaker points in the border, you much like in what, what occurred at Del Rio in 2021, you would begin to see large surge pushes like that. Especially a lot of the other items that were talked about in the bipartisan bill as, so, as sort of operational solutions. Uh, you know, I I would challenge some of them to say if you if you cap the number of asylum asylum seekers every day or encounters, and then you shut off the border, you're really going to create what I was just sort of like like sort of like surge periods where you'd see these drastic surges just in some of the weaker parts of the border. So you're just making it more erratic and sporadic. And then you're not allowing operationally for C B P that's built this sort of the resourcing and capacity across the border where they've they've planned and resourced based on current flows to properly respond. So it'd be you wouldn't you would still be in a bit of a Uh, you would just be in a bigger whack-a-mole period. The moles would just be bigger because of the large surges. All
1: right. Let's just put this out on the line here. Do you personally believe as somebody who has been right in the middle of all these problems, do you believe that if Biden were to do something like shut down asylum in that fashion, would it dissuade migrants from coming to the country? No. Okay. So they're both going to the border. I think it's a mistake for Biden to try to suspend asylum seeking because it reinforces the impression that the president actually can shut off migration. I mean, that's essentially what he'd be saying. He'd be saying, I'm going to shut off migration and then it wouldn't happen. That seems like a PR disaster. I mean, if he's going to the border, you got to come up with a better sort of set of
2: public communications than that, no? Yeah. You know, not to get deep into the politics of it, but I think I will. I will stick to something that the secretary working for him for for multiple years. That's Alejandro to me.
1: Mayorkas, by the way. You're you're talking yeah. about DHS Secretary
2: Alejandro Mayorkas. Yeah, I would say that continuously f- say sort of framing this debate as the border is our immigration and immigration is the border is a broken one, and that sort of myopic view is actually what has us in this. This this sort of quagmire of of dealing with our immigration process. The immigration's continuum or system begins when a migrant makes the decision to make the journey, and it ends years later, currently, in when they're given some sort of pathway or decision on their asylum, you know, a claim, etc. That is not just the border. The border is just one. Small picture of that, but our our policy and our politics have become so fixated on that image that it has narrowed the understanding of what is actually going on across the system. Addition from an operational department of Homeland Security perspective, you can see how that 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 sort of broken view is coming out in our policy and, and, and in Congress. That money to address the volume that we're seeing of asylum seeker is going to border security. So it's creating a bigger pipe and a bigger security apparatus at the border, but we're not creating that, expanding our sort of disruption of transit and human trafficking on the front end to get to the border. We're not expanding our sort of immigration judges and AO asylum uh, officers. We're not creating more capacity on the NGO side. We're not creating this sort of process on the, you know, on the, uh, you know, here domestically. To to handle that volume. And that's where you see a lot of the conflict with a lot of the cities and the and the federal government of of sort of debating about resourcing and the capacity they have to respond to, to, to assist these communities.
1: Yes, that 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 gets to my final question for you. I mean, a better move for Biden here might be to seize on the Trump Miller threats, which are deranged, and say something like Look, the border is really hard to solve. It's a very difficult problem. But mass deportation camps and closing the border aren't the answer. That's not American. Instead, we need to fix the system and resource it properly. We're now learning that immigration is driving the booming economy. Couldn't Biden say that instead of killing this golden goose, which Trump and Miller would do, that Republicans should step up and help provide the, resource, the resources to make immigration work for the country?
2: I think empowering and resourcing law enforcement that are across the interagency of our federal government that can help disincentivize migrants from utilizing these transit networks before they get to the border and giving them more pathways to come here legally. And then also giving them the assistance, oversight, and management through non-custodial, non-detention management processes here domestically as they are in the asylum of courts, and also making our courts and our asylum process more efficient and effective. And then, you know, it also, creating sort of the ability for law enforcement to oversee, sort of from a public safety and national security, sort of you know uh, you know safety uh, perspective, overseeing that process is is the way to is the way to go. I think it's one. It, it, it leans on the ability of how valuable the ninety nine point five percent of migrants and non citizens are to sort of our American communities and our economy and what and the, sort of the benefits of them bringing, coming to the, the country. But it also, also allows us to sort of humanely, justly, and orderly work people through the process. And what you're seeing currently through the, the border lens, as I call it, um, is, is ineffective. And it's, it's doing, it's, 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 it's hurting both our politics, it's hurting our policy, it's, it's creating sort of what I believe is sort of an anti-migrant culture, in this country. And in some regards, I think you can be pro-law enforcement and pro-immigration at the same time. And I think if the president continues to begins to articulate those core values, I think, I think that is where the American people are.
1: Yes. What you said there is important. Uh, Trump and Miller and Republicans want chaos at the border precisely because it creates that anti-migrant culture you're talking about. Jason Hauser, thank you so much for all your insights today.
2: Absolutely, Greg. Thank you for having me.
1: You've been listening to The Daily Blast with me, your host, Greg Sargent. The Daily Blast is a New Republic podcast and is produced by Riley Fessler and the DSR Network.